Welcome to my podcast, Musings of a Christian Philosopher, where we talk about deep and often challenging topics of theology and philosophy. I'm your host, Adam Polstra. Let's get started. Hello, listeners. Today, I've been thinking about the topic of confidence. Good people, particularly Christians, have a pretty difficult time with cocky or confidence or anything approaching what we would call cockiness. I think there's a number of reasons for that. We don't like, of course, arrogance, which is quite understandable and quite good. We don't like pride. Good people, Christians, we don't want to do that. We don't want to have that sort of attribute, and we certainly don't want to display that in front of other people. We want to go as far away from that as we can. And, as far as the Bible is concerned, we have plenty of fodder for this, or at least so it seems. For example, Jesus talking about, if a man asks for your cloak, give him your tunic as well. He talks about how the meek will inherit the earth. The Bible talks in very glowing terms about meekness, about humility, about what is called lowliness of heart. So, of course, it's very easy to interpret this as meaning that we should be self-deprecating. How about the verse that, said, that talks about the fact that we have no confidence in ourselves? This is Paul's epistle. No confidence in ourselves, only confidence in God. Clearly, we should be self-deprecating. We should see nothing in ourselves that is good. We should only see goodness in God. Isn't that right? Well, first of all, let's talk specifically on the topic of humility. What does it mean to be humble? Even if you look at the dictionary definition, I believe it's Webster's, for humility. It says something to the effect of having a low or lowly demeanor or self-perception. Something to that effect. And I personally find this extremely odd and confusing. Why is that? See, we can look at the scriptures that seem to give us this message about how it is that we should see ourselves and what it is that humility is. But if we take another look at something else very important in the scriptures, what the, quote, humblest people in the scriptures were actually like. Or how about moving beyond that, the most godly people who weren't specifically said to be humble, but were said to be godly. How did they actually behave? Were they self-deprecating? Did they speak of themselves in lowly ways? Did they keep going on and on about how it's only in God that they have any hope and they're lost without him completely, without any possibility of being saved? Now, in a certain sense, that last statement I do agree with, but saved in this sense needs to be properly understood. It doesn't mean the capacity to be a good person. Those of us in the modern day who see and I think quite legitimately, people who care nothing for God and yet are very, very genuinely good people should understand that difference. Anyhow, the two most, quote, humble people spoken of in the Bible are Moses and Jesus Christ. 
So let's look at those. How did they behave? What were they like? Now Moses, it wasn't said that he was a humble man until, of course, he had gotten into his later years. And many who quip about humility will mention the fact that when it is said in the book of, I believe it's Exodus, if not Leviticus or Deuteronomy, when Moses, sorry, when it's said of Moses that he was the most humble man on earth, there was no one more humble than him. It was, in fact, Moses who wrote that. And a lot of the modern understanding of humility would claim that that is an emotional, sorry, that is a faux pas, that is a, or not exactly a taboo, but it's contradictory. You can't be humble and talk about your humility. Now, I don't think that that's a contradiction. I think something else is, which is commonly accepted as humility, but we'll get there in a bit. Anyway, so yeah, Moses wrote that. Now, he was either right or he wasn't, and we, in modern day, most often consider that when it said that in the scriptures, it was as true as it could possibly be, maybe literally accurate. So, what was Moses like? In his early life, Moses was actually fairly confident. He had a good idea, it seems, of who he was going to be, what he was going to do. He saw himself as a sort of savior of his brethren, though he didn't grow up among them. He saw himself as a sort of deliverer from an early stage, or at least he seemed to act that way. He even seemed to talk that way a bit. And that's what made the pave the way, it seems, towards his first major mistake, murdering an, murdering an Egyptian, who was, granted, abusing a Jew. So then he goes off into exile, and he marries and has a few children, and during his, you know, as he's aging, and actually getting pretty old already at this point, God calls him, and he's still struggling at that point with probably kind of the uh, outworkings of what he had done in the past and what he'd run from, telling God that he wasn't eloquent, telling God that he was unequipped, and then gradually, as we watch him go through going back to Egypt, calling on Pharaoh to let the Israelites go, and actually getting them out as God did miracles through him, gradually, gradually, we see Moses fitting into that position, leading the Israelites out and continuing to lead them in ways of judiciary, telling them what God was saying, judging between people, he became very settled, very secure, you might say, in his position. And he grew closer to God as he, almost alone, went up Mount Sinai. Some people did go part of the way. He was the only one that went the full way and talked to God personally, did things that it is recorded in Scripture nobody else had ever done before or would after him, quite precisely in the way that he did. And he got so, in fact, perhaps, I mean, yes, exasperated with the Israelites, but maybe a little full of himself as well, that he decided to strike the rock when God had told him to speak to the rock in order to make it gush water, or, you know, give them water, and it did anyway, even though he had disobeyed. Now, granted, he did pay for that. But whatever the case, you do not see a Moses being, you do not see Moses as the same character that he was early on telling God that he wasn't capable, that he couldn't do it. He gradually became more confident, more sure of himself, 
almost a little too sure of himself, it seems. But it was after that transition that we read of him. Moses was the most humble man on earth. There is no one more. Mo there was no one on earth more humble than Moses. By the time he got to that point, he was anything but self-deprecating. In fact, he didn't seem to talk about himself at all, or at least not very much. But he was very confident of his own standing with God. He was very confident of where he was going. He was extremely sure of his direction. I wouldn't say of himself, he was sure of his way, sure of his direction. Now let's look at Jesus. Now again, people might want to argue, oh, there's an exception here because we're talking about Jesus and he was God and he was allowed to do things that we are not. I would say not. Jesus specifically said, you will do greater things than these. Talking about, it seems, miracles, but how about talking about aspects of character? Long-suffering, love. What about just acting like Jesus? The scripture talks about the fact that God wants us to be like him. And then he, and then he proceeds to give us an example of what he is like in human flesh. Jesus. And again, he says he wants us to be like him. So yes, the very same man who told the people that when somebody takes your cloak, give him your tunic also, or the other way around. I can't remember properly. He is the very same one who would turn to the religious authorities and call them hypocrites. He was the same one who told the Sanhedrin itself the top authority of the Pharisees and religious leaders, that they would see him on the clouds of heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father. This same man, of whom we say he was meek and lowly of heart, turned to his disciples a number of times and asked them why were they, they were so slow, why they were slow in believing. He lamented about a generation, this entire generation that he was a part of, that they were so slow to believe, that they couldn't see the truth. He was extremely sure of himself. He knew exactly who he was, and he let people know it. Yeah, he was more of a fan of kind of talking about himself in the third person, but he talked about himself actually quite a lot, which I remember is supposed to be a faux pas in our modern understanding of humility. He talked about himself, not constantly, but often. And you could talk about the, there were specific reasons as to why, and so on and so forth. And I get that. But just the point stands in and of itself. He talked to himself a lot. He knew his mission. When Peter tried to contradict him on his mission to go and be be betrayed by men, turned over to the Roman authorities, and killed on a cross, he said, Satan, get behind me. Satan, in that circumstance, or in that specific instance, meaning simply enemy, opponent, opposition, get behind me. He knew his way. 
He walked in it confidently. We say of him that he was meek and lowly of heart. He told us to be humble, that the meek would inherit the earth. Does this seem a little odd to you? If we believe that just being humble simply means to be lowly, to consider yourself small or insignificant. But then we look at these men and how they actually lived. doesn't seem to match, no, does it? And how about another man? About whom it said, and this, by the way, is the only time in Scripture other than Jesus, it is said he grew in stature and favor with God and men. This is the judge, Samuel, before the time of the kings. He ushered in the time of the kings. Not really to his liking, but he did. This guy, it's, it's not specifically said that he was humble, but... He was considered the most godly man of his generation, or at least of Israel probably at that time. What was he like? He was extremely sure of himself. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he did it. There is not, in fact, a recorded instance that I can think of where Samuel was any degree of unsure of himself. And this is a, quote, godly man. There are some people with a modern interpretation of humility who would look at that in a modern-day person and say that he was arrogant, that he was evil, that he was proud. It just doesn't seem to match to me. So when I read that definition in the Webster's Dictionary, when I hear people talk of humility that way, it doesn't make a lick of sense to me. I don't see it exemplified in the characters of Scripture. Now, what is pride? I consider pride, personally, my definition of it has to do with a facade. A facade of what? A facade of confidence. Pride and arrogance is trying to appear to be sure of yourself. To appear even to be cocky. To appear to be assured of your way. but not actually having that attribute. You know it's uh, people who are that way know they should be that way, but knowing deep down that they are not set up to look that way. Because that's the best that they can do. They're not actually sure of their, themselves. They're not actually confident. And this, by the way, to me, explains why the Pharisees were so insulted and so annoyed with Jesus. Because as we just talked about, Jesus was extremely confident and, and sure of himself. The Pharisees were the ones who were putting on a mere display of confidence without the actual attribute. As a result, of course, they were extremely annoyed. They were, in fact, jealous of Jesus, you might say, because he had the very attribute they were faking. I think that's why pride is genuinely most offended, not by other pride, but by confidence. I differ from C.S. Lewis on this point a little bit. Yes, I think the pride is insulted by other pride. I think it's even more insulted by the genuine article, by confidence. Now, how is it that proud people go about 
showing off, trying to appear to be confident. Usually it's the kind of people who talk about their great attributes, talk about their achievements, talk about their skills. They flaunt and flourish and show forth as much as they can just how full of themselves they are. It may not be that explicit. It might be that they're trying to put on a certain sort of behavior, like, for example, religious behavior, to try to appear to be a certain way, when in fact they do not have the genuine article. But the point is that when you are proud and when you are arrogant, you have a high degree of self-obsession. We know this to be one of the uh, to be a link to one of the things that we as Christians are very much against: self-obsession, self-absorption, selfishness. It's one of the attributes, in my opinion, of pride. We become self-absorbed. Now, I said earlier that there is something that is very well accepted as quote humility today, which I think is the very opposite, and that is self-deprecation. That is looking down on yourself. Why? C.S. Lewis points this out brilliantly. Because it is just as much self-obsession as normal pride. I call this false humility. It is simply pride inverted. Instead of having a self-obsession based around your facade of confidence, you have self-obsession focused around a facade of, quote, humility. You're trying to make yourself look humble by being all low on yourself and thinking you can't do anything and not deserving any good thing in the world because, oh, I'm just so useless. That is just another form of pride. So then what does it really mean? For example, when Jesus talks about or sorry, not when Jesus talks about, when Paul talks about that we have no confidence in ourselves, it's only in the Lord. Well, if how we interpret that is to believe that there is nothing good in ourselves without God, nothing at all, nothing, we have to include our own abilities, our own talents, our skills, Things that have been put in us at the very basic level parts of our DNA, things that we were inclined towards as we grew up. Many times people try to go that far, and I think often do. And if we go that far, as a philosopher, I look at this and point out the fact that we are therefore including things that God put on us at the very, in the very first place. What we are in fact saying, if we believe that there is nothing good in us as such, we are saying that God made a massive error. That God made stuff that isn't good, that is worthless, that is nothing in itself that could possibly be good. See, you see how this takes it far too far. Paul's words are true. We have nothing if it wasn't for God. Yeah, God created us in the first place. What he's really pointing out, therefore, in my opinion, 
It's not that we should have no confidence whatsoever outside of God in the sense where we, that we normally interpret it, but rather that we should recognize the fact that even the stuff that is in us, even the good stuff that we have, the talents and desires and so on for good things, came from God in the first place. So yeah, we have no confidence outside of God. That doesn't mean we have no confidence in the stuff that's already in us. The stuff that, so to speak, we didn't need a relationship with God in order to have at all. Now, yes, I think that we should have an, a relationship with God, or at least with virtue, to enhance those things, to bring those things to fruition that they were there in the first place to have, or to grow into. Absolutely. But I think the proper interpretation of that verse is not to say we should have no confidence in ourselves at all, but that even the confidence that we do have in ourselves can only be there in the first place because God gave us the abilities. God gave us the talents. God gave us the desires for good things. So then, what does it mean to be humble? See, if the characters that we so admire for their godliness, for their meekness, for their humility in the scripture are pretty universally very confident, we could go on, we could talk about David, we could talk about Gideon, specifically after God had reached him, because he is another example of somebody who is very low on himself until God got a hold of him, and then suddenly he's this, he's this warrior, he's very confident in himself, and it took him a while to get there, yes, but the more godly he became, the more confident he became. So what does it really mean to be hum humble? How could it possibly coincide with being confident, which I think the examples of the scriptural characters tells us pretty flat out? Well, I have a definition of humility that I've developed myself. Now, personally, I think God helped me with this one a great deal, because when I first wrote it out, I didn't actually control myself, but that's another... I wasn't directly controlling myself, but that's a, perhaps a topic for another time. No, actually, it's a great story to tell now. I was writing uh, back many years ago a blog on the topic of, I think, the uh, first and second commandments that Jesus kind of codified, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that led me towards the topic of humility. And I was just, you know, thinking about it as I was writing it and thinking and thinking, kind of in the back of my mind as I was continuing to write. And I just decided, you know... I'm just going to go ahead and write my own definition of humility, because that's not pretentious at all. But whatever my hubris, I don't know, I decided to go ahead with it, and I hit enter, enter, space, space, and started typing. And at that point forth, I remember words going through my mind, and my fingers moved, and typed out letters, and by the way, I don't remember a single grammatical or typing error of any kind, which is pretty rare for me for this length. And I just wrote this thing out, I hit enter, enter, I looked back at the at the uh, definition, and I, I believe audibly said, who wrote that? Because I didn't remember specifically controlling myself to do it. Now, you could say every step of that was me doing it, yes, but it's as if my subconscious was in total control. 
which to me simply translates to God's control. Personally, I think that the subconscious is a vehicle that God sometimes uses, so it, to me it's the same difference. Anyways, so what I had wrote, written out, I've modified it a little bit, but it still is largely the same. It goes like this. Knowing, believing, and acting upon an accurate and godly perspective of yourself and others. And you see what I wrapped in there? And again, I don't know if it was just me, but let's just say I, since I kind of wrote it. What I wrap in there is a good understanding of who you are and who the people you know are, as much as you are able to, to the best of your ability, I would say, right? All it really has to do with is understanding the truth about yourself and the people around you as well as you can, and living through that lens of that accuracy, of that truth. Now, do you see how that aligns, especially with the character of Jesus Christ? Jesus, as I said before, knew who he was and acted out of that with full confidence. Nobody could break him of it, not even his closest friends. He didn't misstep for a moment on his knowledge of himself. And he had a pretty darn good understanding of other people, too, and neither did he sway on that. In fact, he never said anything but the honest truth. He might have held back on what he said sometimes, which I think we all do who understand that sometimes things carry too much risk. If we tell the truth just blatantly out in the open all the time, we can get ourselves into unnecessary amounts of trouble, and it was Jesus himself who told us to be shrewd. Certainly he was too. Anyways, though, the point being, he acted in accordance with accuracy and truth. And the characters that we've just been going through in the scriptures, the more they learn the truth, some of them earlier than others, the more confidently and consistently they behaved with that knowledge. So to me, humility not only is compatible with confidence, but it is not really based on a mere attitude. It's based on knowledge of truth, knowledge more specifically, of the truth. And when we have that and choose to act in accordance with it, we become what is actually humble. So, how can we square then with scriptures like when Jesus says, if somebody asks for your cloak, give him your tunic also? Or in some translations or interpretations, if a man sues you for your tunic, give him your cloak also. And then there's another time when Paul is talking to one of the churches in one of his epistles, and he specifically says, why aren't you allowing yourselves to be taken advantage of? It's pretty strong stuff. And of course, we could go on with other scriptures that say similar things. Now, personally, I think that these scriptures align with what I was just saying about Paul's talking about we have no confidence in ourselves, only in the Lord. And I know I'm paraphrasing that a little bit, as I often do. How do I mean? Jesus also talks about the fact that God is the one who provides for our needs. We do not need to worry. We should simply ask him. 
he knows what we need before we ask. In other words, he, as we often say, is our provider. So if we're free to give away our tunic as well as our, as well as our cloak when it's taken, why would that be? Well, because we, unique in the world, have confidence in the provision that God has for us. But how can this unite with a confidence perspective of humility? I think it does right away. See, if we're able to allow ourselves to, quote, be taken advantage of sometimes, and I think that there are caveats here, we shouldn't allow ourselves to, I don't think it's wise to have relationships with abusive people who will continuously do that. Jesus was no friend to his abusers, the Pharisees in particular. Nobody in his close circle were people who abused him. And we don't see that in other scriptural characters either. But Jesus also talked about the fact that we're going to be as sheeps going to wolves. And sometimes we're going to be hurt for it. To do good is one of the most advantageous things in the entire world. But it's only one of the most because this world is a place where wolves are. And they're going to be working towards their advantage too. And when you are good, and when you say the truth, and when you act in virtue, you get in their way a lot, and you expose their fraud. And they don't like that very much, so they might hurt you. They might sue you for your cloak. So then why would we then, or sorry, how could it be confident of us to then give us their, or sorry, give them our tunic. Well, people who are of the world chase after, this is Jesus' words as well, chase after those things, those things being stuff, money, prominence, position. So when they look at us getting in their way cramping their style, exposing their frauds and evils. What do they want to do? Well, they want to disable us the same way that they could disable anybody else in the world, which is to hit the pressure point, right? They take away your means of making money. They ruin your reputation. They try to destroy you in many times in every way short of actually killing you. Some people want to go that far, too, as we see in the example of Jesus himself. But whatever the case, they want to destroy you on your pressure points. Death, of course, is often one of them as well, which is why that happens. Anyway, so if that's how the world, the world of arrogance, the world of dependence on stuff, usually wins over each other, when they encounter us, and we having our confidence in God because of his provision for us and show it by giving even more than we were demanded of, or sorry, than what was demanded of us, wouldn't you think that would kind of short-circuit their system? In their eyes, if not necessarily in ours as well, wouldn't that seem like the most cocky thing a person could possibly do in that situation? Oh, you want to take my stuff? Here, have more. I don't need it. We know it's because we have provision in the Lord. There's a good reason why scriptures talk about the things of the wise of God, or sorry, the wisdom of God is foolishness to men. 
when we have the wisdom of God in us, knowing that he is our provider, and are willing to even give up more after stuff has been demanded, maybe even sued out of us, we seem insane. Insane with what? Insane with crazy confidence. Now, of course, they won't want to call it that. They'll just play it, call it plain insanity. But no one can deny the confidence of that kind of a choice, that kind of a move. If we do not look out for our own benefit, for our own interests, because we know that our interests are already being defended by our Lord, we look crazy confident. Yes, we're still following the scripture that says that we have no confidence in ourselves, we have no pride in ourselves, we have it in the Lord. We're still following that, yes. But the confidence cannot be denied. So, those are my thoughts on this topic. I hope you have all found it interesting and hopefully edifying. I'm going to sign off for now. You all have a great day.